You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Truthful news. Wasail al-Alama Sadiqa. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. On Truthful News this evening, we have none other than our favorite, one of our favorites, Dr. Shankara Chetty, who is, alhamdulillah, a natural science biologist and a medical practitioner. And our topic this evening is a powerful, powerful topic indeed, a medical dictatorship and tyranny, a challenge to those who expose the pandemic agenda. So people, it's going to be a man of truth that is talking to us, a man that has walked the talk, the man that has gained the confidence of uh, many other medical practitioners throughout the world, in some instances, uh, you know, embracing him, acknowledging him, applauding him, and even, you know, giving him uh, uh, certificates and a recognition for the work that he has done in, uh, you know, helping people out when this plan- pandemic uh, went pear shape. Good evening, uh, Dr. Shankara Chetty, and thank you very much for joining us on the platforms of Amarka Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jabaa. Whenever you look at things and you look around you and you see what uh, the people are doing and, uh, you know, how people are reacting, perhaps in your case, you know, uh, your truth has been uh, documented the, the way you went around. And I want you to fill us in, you know, your journey uh, thus far. We, we, we know many of your epi- episodes, you know, we've been talking to you on many programs. But as you got uh, towards the truth, you had many people that were around uh, with you, people like-minded, people like yourself in, in your fraternity getting together and some uh, being, you know, how the press works and uh, some uh, uh, of these uh, uh, pro, uh, 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 what, pro uh, p- p- pandemic press were going for you, or mainstream media was actually going for those uh, that were exposing this, uh, what was going around as a COVID and so forth. And it seems as if, uh, you know, moving on, we see that we have a situation where lots and lots of people are succumbing uh, to the vaccinations that that they have taken. And it seems as if, uh, you know, the masses had come out on the streets, made their noise, and uh, uh, lots of vaccinations and, you know, went, uh, uh, were dumped, were thrown away. And now they said, okay, it's gone down a little. But they are threatening uh, uh, mankind with another wave, uh, maybe, uh, you know, what they call it, COVID-6 or something. That will come into the fore. But in the meantime, people like yourself who have uh, conscientized the world and has uh, conscientized the individuals uh, are being targeted. I want you to, you know, and we're going to sit back. We're going to listen to the story of Dr. Shankara Chetty. Take us through, Doc. You have, uh, you know, the next 40 minutes is yours. Go for it, Doctor. I'll be listening. Now and then you can, you know, you can let me, if you want me to uh, ask you something. You're most welcome to go for it, doctor. It's your evening. We are hosting you, but we are still listening to you. We're giving you the evening. It's all yours. Go ahead, uh, Doctor Shankara Chetty. Uh, thanks, uh, Shafat. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey, and a very difficult one from a personal perspective, Shafat. Uh, in 2020, uh, when uh, COVID came to South Africa, well, before it came to South Africa. Uh, there was a lot of talk from the World Health Organization and other regulatory authorities that doctors must not see patients physically. Uh, the information that we had around the pandemic fell short of uh, any great understanding of what was going on. And so I decided that I want to see patients. I pitched a tent outside my home in my parking lot with a consulting area and a treatment area. And I made it my duty to examine every single patient that came in with COVID uh, in a way that took away a lot of the fear because a lot of these patients were being isolated from society, uh, felt abandoned. Uh, the, 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 uh, at, at that point in time, the, uh, the rhetoric was that there was no treatment. Uh, patients needed to isolate for a period of 14 days. Uh, and only go to hospital if they if they felt they were getting worse. Uh, there was absolutely no investigations into treating patients and any uh, investigation into understanding the illness itself so that we could help people that were sick. Uh, so with treating patients, I noticed some very unusual things. Uh, my I think my signal findings 
where that a, a subset of patients worsened on the eighth day. Uh, those patients that worsened on the eighth day, uh, many of them were perfectly fine on the seventh day of illness. They had recovered completely and suddenly on the eighth day took a turn for the worse. Uh, there are very few things in uh, in medicine that actually do that to a human body. Uh, and the two things that actually do that is an allergic reaction uh, that can kill you within a day or two or a poisoning that can kill you within a day or two. We know about heart attacks and strokes and those kind of things. But when we talk of ex external factors, it's either a poisoning or a severe allergic process. And so I considered this to be one of the two and treated it as such with steroids, high-dose steroids, antihistamines, montelukast, like you would treat a patient who comes in with a bee sting and having a very severe anaphylactic or anaphylactoid kind of reaction. The treatment showed great benefit. Patients recovered within a day. Uh, I had oxygen saturations going up within hours of starting treatment. And so I realized I'm dealing with a severe allergic process on that eighth day in those people that were susceptible. I subsequently wrote a, an academic article about my understanding of the pathophysiology surrounding this uh, COVID illness, and of course, the pandemic itself, where it came from, where it was going, and what we needed to do to actually avert the crisis itself. That was published in Modern Medicine, uh, a peer-reviewed academic journal here in South Africa, which has the largest uh, subscribership of, of all journals in the country. In August, it went out to 35,000 doctors in South Africa, but it was controversial for one simple, one simple line that I had written, which stated that if early treatment could negate all the mortality and morbidity of COVID illness, it would make a rushed vaccine to market wholly unnecessary. And that sparked a lot of contro controversy. Uh, subsequently, Shafat, I have a friend in the CDC, <coughs> He saw my work, we studied together in India, and he put it to the CDC. They contacted me to say they'd like me to present, but the presentation kept getting deferred till January 2021, after the vaccines had been released in the United States. And I found that very disingenuous. When you find a solution to a problem like a pandemic, you'd expect people to want to know about it quickly. So immediately I knew that the vaccines were going to take center stage and I understood the pharmaceutical industry uh, was standing to make millions, billions out of this. And so I refused to present to the CDC when they eventually contacted me in January. I knew that they would suppress my work. So I made a, a, an, an effort uh, and, and uh, it, was, it was deliberate that I tried to educate doctors and educate patients. I knew if I educated doctors and patients, no manner of regulatory authority could stifle my work or suppress what I had found. Uh, subsequently, I had silence in South Africa in those early days. I think the article was controversial, if not poorly understood. Uh, I got contacted in April 2021 by a Professor Chris Newton, who's the head of molecular biology in Edinburgh University. Uh, he had watched my comments on LinkedIn uh, pertaining to new research that was coming out. And I had understood that we're dealing with a biphasic illness, two different illnesses, and it changed on the eighth day. And so the type of medication you use needed to be changed and that the treatment needed to be quick and aggressive. It seemed I was the only one with this perspective. So he contacted me and wanted to have a look at my work. And immediately the following day, uh, scheduled an interview with Dr. Philip Macmillan from the UK, who is the lead COVID researcher globally. And he was, uh, he was actually uh, interviewing people from around the globe, experts from around the globe on their views on COVID. Uh, we had an interview uh, within three days. That interview went viral because it brought out a whole lot of new information about the biphasic nature of the illness, about the hypersensitivity that was occurring on the eighth day, about quick and aggressive treatment. And also, by that point, I had figured out that the culprit for causing the allergic reaction was spike protein. Spike protein are the spikes on the virus that cause it to attach to its host. And I had it at the back of my mind that we're dealing with an engineered virus. Uh, I was well aware of the 20 years of research that went on at the uh, Wuhan lab and other, other virology facilities with gain of function. 
and those those uh, those kind of investigations were centered around coronaviruses and spike protein. So it seems strange that in 2020 we were dealing with a pandemic with a coronavirus and a spike protein. So I knew that spike protein was new on this virus, so probably engineered. And so I watched spike protein as the culprit uh, for an allergic process. Uh, when you go to a new environment, you tend to have allergy to things you were not previously exposed to. And I suspected spike protein being the new part of this coronavirus. We've been exposed to coronaviruses previously, and we've never had the same kind of problem. So uh, Philip Macmillan and I had this interview. It went viral. Uh, a lot of people heard about my work. Uh, I was subsequently, within two weeks, called to do a virtual training session with doctors for the uh, Association of Integrative and Functional Medicine in Malaysia. Uh, at that training session, I trained uh, 194 doctors in the treatment of COVID. And of course, uh, seeing that spike protein was the pathogen of COVID illness, causing all the mortality and morbidity and not the virus, the vaccine took center stage. Seeing that the vaccine got your body to manufacture spike protein, and that could be a dangerous thing. We had a robust discussion, and uh, scientifically, I presented all the effects of spike protein, what I would see with the vaccine, what I would suspect would be the adverse events, uh, injuries caused by it. Uh, at, that, at that meeting itself, which was a seven-hour seven hour training session, uh, we discussed everything around COVID illness. Uh, at that point in time, Malaysia was uh, quarantining people that were diagnosed with COVID. We made a submission to the Malaysian government to allow doctors access to these patients, even if it's via telemedicine, while they were in quarantine, and they granted us that latitude. Uh, so these doctors that I trained subsequently started treating COVID patients. I subsequently made a submission to the King of Malaysia. I was concerned that this vaccine could cause more harm than good. And we hoped that he would uh, declare a fatwa against it and uh, and stop the at least the Muslim world from taking it. Uh, I was not getting anywhere with scientists, with logic. I was not getting anywhere with the researchers. I was not getting anywhere with the medical fraternity. So I thought I needed to turn to the religious institutions for some assistance in this. Uh, following that, I had an interview in the Bahamas with uh, a lady there called Nahaja Black. She's a well-known radio show host. Well, of course, what I was saying was very controversial, stirred a lot of debate. They were at the start of their vaccination campaign. Uh, she called me back a week later for an open public discussion, which I agreed to, and answered all their questions, uh, put the vaccines into context, made them understand what was going on with the pandemic itself. And in that way, uh, Shafat, uh, I... I've had interviews in almost every country on the planet so far and shared the same knowledge. Uh, it influenced a lot of people, uh, opened their eyes to what was going on, took away a lot of fear. I guess when you know what needs to be done, if you get COVID, then it takes away the fear and brings hope. And that's what the planet was uh, urgently lacking at the time. We were made to feel hopeless. Our faith was challenged. Uh, we gave away our freedoms. So, yeah, people were very vulnerable at that point in time. And of course, there were forces taking advantage of that vulnerability, if not being the cause of that vulnerability. Uh, where we are uh, subsequently, <clears throat> uh, I've done a lot of work around COVID from the perspective of the science and, of course, the legal aspects and the social aspects that came to bear because of the global response to the pandemic. People lost their jobs, children were traumatized, schools were closed. So we had to deal with all that uh, from uh, from the perspective of of, of the, the the scientific way of looking at this pandemic. Of course, we were called uh, conspiracy theorists and charged with misinformation. But I think uh, that was uh, that was uh, something just to divert attention away from the truth. Uh, what what they call misinformation is actually my conscientious review of scientific information and I choose to object to the unscientific opinion of the global narrative. Uh, so it's not misinformation, it is just dissension. I choose to dissent, dissent to your opinion. Now of course we're dealing with the medical tyranny and of course uh, medical dictatorship, so if I don't toe the line 
then I'll get admonished for it. Uh, a lot has come out since. A lot of what I said was going to happen with the vaccines has come to bear. Uh, yet uh, a lot of people refuse to admit to that. Uh, I did mention that uh, a lot of the pre-existent conditions that people suffer with will get exacerbated. And so we'll have something to blame for deaths and uh, and damage. And that's what's happening. Uh, but uh, I also directed that we look at all-cause mortality and not cherry-pick what we think are vaccine side effects. And of course, it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, silly to go and ask Pfizer what they think the side effects are and to get them to count it. And uh, globally, what we are seeing is that there's been an average of a 40% increase in all-cause mortality in highly vaccinated countries that correlates directly with the start of their vaccination campaigns. Now, a 40% increase in mortality is a huge number. Uh, during the world wars, all-cause mortality went up only 10%. So we are, we are in essentially a third world war with that level of uh, mortality in our, in our societies. Uh, this this uh, has led me to believe that we are dealing with a bioweapon. It was planned. Uh, there's a lot that shows that it was planned. There's a lot of manipulation. Uh, Pfizer started testing its vaccine three days after China released the sequence for the virus. Uh, I can't understand how they managed to make a vaccine in three days. Moderna was testing their vaccine from 2017, even before the pandemic even started. So it seems like they had some such sort of inside information as to the, the start of this pandemic. Uh, as well, when you look at the response to the pandemic itself, uh, it could have been a lab leak or it could have been intentional. If it was a lab leak, uh, uh, I would have expected a completely different response to that in trying to contain it. Uh, but of course, the response dictated that it wasn't a lab leak. It seemed intentional with the global narrative, uh, the lockstep, way in which governments were dealing with this, uh, this, this stifling and censoring of scientific debate, uh, the irrational uh, arguments that were put forward, uh, the traumatizing of populations, the devastation to economies, all with no scientific rationale at all. And none of the so-called experts or people in charge with the regulatory authorities have ever come to a debate with other scientists with different opinions. So that all shows that this was pre-planned. It wasn't people putting their heads together to solve a problem. It was a problem that was created with an agenda. So I've been very controversial for stating that. In June last year, I, I at a meeting in the Caribbean summit, uh, mentioned this opinion to people and it caused a lot of, a lot of controversy. It is the reason, reason that the South African Medical Council now wishes to have an inquiry into my public, uh, into my professional misconduct. But of course, uh, that's that's a different issue. Uh, where we are at the moment, uh, we've discovered that uh, in March this year, we discovered that the virus infects the gut itself. Uh, we found that the virus can infect bacteria in the gut, which no other virus has the capability of doing. So definitely a virus that was manipulated by man. Uh, when this virus infects bacteria in your gut, it causes them to make toxins. Uh, these toxins were examined and cl cl classified. We discovered 15 different kinds of, more than 15 different kinds of snake venom, phospholipases. We discovered alpha conotoxins, which are sea snail poisons in the stool of infected patients. We found starfish poisons, metalloproteases. So I can't understand how it's natural for an RNA virus to conspire with a, a snake to kill humanity. So this is definitely not a natural process we're dealing with. So a lot of it has pointed to this being uh, a man-made virus that was meant to stir fear through an illegitimate false PCR test. And of course, to take away people's freedoms, take away your faith, and steer you towards a vaccine that was wholly unnecessary. Uh, a lot of it is coming to bear. Recently, in the European Union Parliament, uh, Albert Bola was asked to come and ask questions, the CEO of Pfizer, and he refused. Uh, there was an admission that absolutely no studies were done on the effect of the vaccine on transmission of the virus. Now, 
a lot of what happened around the world, the discrimination, the, uh, the forcible vaccination, uh, telling people to take it for the benefit of society was all based on the fact that this vaccine could stop transmission of the virus. But now that Pfizer has shown that it did no studies in that direction, vaccine passports, lockdowns, everything that happened around the vaccine was actually illegitimate and illegal and had no, absolutely no scientific rationale. Uh, so uh, I've, I've subsequently addressed the European Union Parliament on early treatment and my views. Uh, I've also addressed the global grand jury, which is an investigation going on about the uh, pandemic itself, the vaccines itself, and that this is a bioweapon. They want to bring Fauci and Bill Gates and the cabal of elitists to book. Uh, so I was called to testify. We had judges from around the world there uh, in that testimony. Uh, so, so a lot of what's been happening is coming to bear. People have awakened. A lot of people have now not taken the vaccine. They realize the problems. Uh, they're trying to punt the new vaccine, which is a bivalent vac vaccine, has one of the variants of Omicron added to it. This vaccine is even worse than the first in that it was only tested on eight mice, never tested on human beings, yet we seem to be wanting to authorize it again for the global population without any evidence of its efficacy at all. And we know that Omicron is changing very rapidly. So again, by the time this vaccine comes to market, it will be outdated. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's definitely an agenda. So on the brighter side of things, uh, we had a review meeting with the doctors that I trained in Malaysia. Uh, every single one of them has had the same outcomes as I have. Uh, no deaths, no hospitalizations, and no need for oxygen. Uh, every patient that they treated recovered timelessly. Uh, they became famous in Malaysia for treating patients. And I've been invited in November to attend a gala dinner to honor the work that I've done with these doctors in Malaysia. Uh, I was also contacted by the Cancer Vive Society, which is a cancer society in Malaysia itself. They wish to award me the Peter Nye Award, which is usually given to cancer specialists with breakthroughs in cancer treatment. And of course, I'm not a cancer specialist. But uh, how this came to be, uh, three of the doctors were part of the training session that I had a year and a half or a little longer ago in Malaysia. And of course, they were, they were uh, intrigued by my comments on the vaccine and its ability to damage your immunity and have cancers in remission re resurface and its ability to cause new cancers. So they went back and advised their cancer society to uh, advise cancer survivors not to take the vaccine. Now, a year and a half down the line, they've realized the importance of that advice because those patients that didn't take the vaccine are still fine, the cancer is still in remission. But those that were pressured by family or friends or any other, other coercive means to take the vaccine have had their cancers come back. So they felt that I deserve that award because the number of lives saved from that advice is more than any cancer treatment could have saved in these past year and a half. So there is uh, there is uh, good that has come of my work. Uh, also in the Bahamas, uh, my meeting with Nahaja Black awakened that community. Uh, I've heard from uh, this guy, Etienne DuPont, a friend of mine, who's a well-known businessman in the Bahamas. He contacted me a month ago to thank me for influencing his country and his government. Uh, what, uh, what transpired was after my interview, Bahamas went into a, an election. A new government was elected. Uh, Nahaja Black presented my work to them. They were willing to listen. So they immediately opened up the country back to normal, took away all the restrictive measures and didn't mandate any vaccinations. Uh, they had a very low death rate throughout the pandemic. They had none of the economic turmoil and uh, social upheaval that other countries saw due to lockdown measures. And of course, they only had, I think, about a 20% vaccination uptake in the country itself. So yes, uh, Naja Black became a chief medical advisor to the government. And I hear now that she's been appointed as the uh, medical ambassador of the Bahamas to Canada. So I'm trying to get in touch with her to get the story of her journey uh, through the pandemic as well. Uh, however, here in South Africa, the exact opposite is happening. 
Uh, I've had a professor from Wits play a complaint against me to the council for what he calls misinformation. And of course, he, he says that I don't follow the basic tenets of medicine and I'm making outlandish physiologic claims that are implausible. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's, uh, he's compromised in that he supplies the government with PCR tests and my work compromises his business. Uh, as to implausible physiologic claims, uh, I'm in the process of writing an article with researchers from the United States, uh, Nikki Eisenhower, uh, Dr. Schneider, who is the leading mast cell specialist in the, in the globe. And the article surrounds, is about my work and how mast cells will impact on all diseases known to man. Uh, this is something that's been ignored in medical science for a long time. And the article we're writing is part of a series that has great impact for the future of medical care and a great impact in a lot of illnesses that we treat, but do not understand the triggering factors behind them, like migraines, Lyme disease, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, myeloencephalitis. There's a lot of there's a lot of good that's going to come from that. So I think Professor Fenter needs an education from someone better informed before he calls things misinformation. Uh, it's just that I, I don't, I don't follow his opinion. I think it's not based in science, and I think he's compromised. So yeah, I think they, they, they wish is to suspend me, so that I'll stop speaking out. But I guess for that to happen, it's going to have to take the tallest tree, and it's got to be by my neck. Otherwise, that ain't going to work. Uh, I wouldn't think twice of deregistering and finding a different vocation. Yeah, it'll stop me from being a doctor. But if this is what medical care is about, then I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be. And I'd rather not be part of it. So, yeah, that's that's a, a summary of the journey I've been through. Uh, there's there's a lot more to come. I'm part, uh, part of a research team, uh, six people from around the globe that are keeping at the front of this, watching everything that's going on. And of course, we got to figure out how to fix the vaccines. A lot of people were coerced. A lot of people took it for good intention and now realize that they were coerced and injured. And of course, COVID is no more a threat. Uh, a lot of people understand now, medical professionals understand how to treat the illness. So we're trying to figure out how the vaccine is causing damage and how to negate those effects of the vaccine. Uh, that is where we are at the moment. It's a tough road. There are a lot of injured people out there. We've seen uh, large increases in cancers, in heart attacks, in strokes, in Alzheimer's, in nerve problems. So, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. And if the medical fraternity refuses to admit and refuses to get on board, we're going to be left with just a few people trying to solve a problem we didn't create. But, of course, for, for, for humanity itself, someone has to do that. So, yeah, I hope I hope that uh, uh, God is with us so that we can we can see light and he points us in direction so that we can solve this problem. But uh, it's been a heart wrenching journey to know that you could have influenced and saved a majority of people that died from COVID. But it's just that the powers that be didn't want to listen or had agendas where fixing the pandemic would be counterproductive to what they wanted to do. So I think, yeah, we, we're in a global third world war. Uh, nobody knows. Uh, these, these same cabal were in charge of the first and second world wars and used it to reset economies and population and society. And I think they've learned very well how to fight a war without having all the destruction and the upheaval that the first two world, world wars have. So we've got a virus and a vaccine that are now the munitions. And of course, the death doesn't occur on killing fields in plain view of everyone. It occurs quietly in your bed at night, so nobody notices. But if you look at the excess deaths and the increase in mortality over various different illnesses that have been stable for many years, it is plain to see that something is amiss. Uh, fertility rates in all the countries that are vaccinated are also going down. So clearly there's a depopulation agenda. Uh, <clears throat> but of course, I think the one thing that's going to get us through the Shabbat is faith. And uh, even patients that are vaccinated, if we understand the mistakes we've made and we stand together, I'm sure that uh, Almighty is uh, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a God that uh, forgives 
as long as we admit. And I think that's where a lot of humanity is at this point. We need to admit the mistakes. We need to look at the past and figure out where we went wrong. And we need to fix things for the future. But of course, uh, that's a small group of scientists and, uh, and doctors that are trying to, trying to enlighten and bring this, uh, this agenda to the fore. There are also those that wish to, to, to keep us censored, uh, keep us off platforms and take away our voice. But of course, uh, I think people have awakened around the globe. Like you mentioned, there's protests in a majority of countries around the world. I've managed to influence quite a few elections around the world and give supportive videos to quite a few candidates that wish to exit these uh, regulatory authorities globally, the UN, the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum. We need to keep our sovereignty as countries. We need to keep our individuality as people. And this is what they seek to take away. Uh, that's how you make sheep. All of us look the same, think the same, and uh, are treated in very much the same way. There are no individuals and there are no differences. Yet God has made each one of us different. So it goes against the plan of our creator. Yeah, so so that's 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 my journey, Shafat. No, thank you very much for sharing that with us, uh, Doctor. And it seems as if, you know, uh, you have left a fruit, uh, footprint and, you know, men of truth like you, we embrace and also celebrate. But, uh, Doctor, you know, I've been looking at this article and uh, perhaps, you know, I like your comments on it. It says uh, money over medical ethics. And uh, it says uh, where hospitals or temples of uh, pharmacia paid to kill patients. And it goes on to say in most cases, over 80 percent of patients died. And this is what uh, Dr. Russell uh, Blaylock says. Hospitals, can you believe the doctor, uh, Shankara Chetty? Hospitals were paid $39,000 to put a patient on a ventilator and $12,000 to admit them to ICU. Patients were paralyzed by a rug and placed onto a mechanical ventilator from which most never came off. Now, doctor, you know, this is such a damning statement that's coming through there. And if that is true, then we are wondering that, you know, many of our relatives went into hospitals. They were put into uh, these ventilators. And were these hospitals complicit in taking this money and perhaps our dear ones are departing from this world by being choked or drowned? I don't know what, doctor, talk to me. Uh, Shafat, it's absolutely correct. That happened here in South Africa too. Uh, hospitals were paid to ventilate patients. Hospitals were paid to use certain medications. Hospitals were paid to diagnose COVID. I've had patients come to me with family members that demised from other causes. And uh, they were told that they would be given 9,000 rands if they changed the diagnosis to COVID. Uh, I've had, I know of hospitals being paid to be to, for patients to be ventilated. Uh, so this was the greatest medical malpractice I've ever seen. And that's the reason I wouldn't think twice of leaving the medical fraternity. Uh, when you look at ventilation, ventilation is a very invasive process. And it is reserved for people that are in crisis. Uh, people that have head injuries with motor vehicle accidents who can't breathe on their own. Uh, it is very invasive and very damaging. But here what we had, like I'd seen in my practice, were patients that were coming in with saturations that were low, uh, some patients in the 70, 60% in my practice, but they were breathless, but were able to breathe easily. So that clearly indicates that they have no breathing issue. They have an issue with the transport or absorption and transport of oxygen. And so high flow, high concentration oxygen would have sufficed. But these patients in hospital were exposed to predetermined protocols. And any patient that had saturations around 85% was then sedated so that they couldn't breathe on their own and put onto a mechanical ventilator. Uh, these ventilators as well. Uh, ventilation is a very, very uh, difficult thing to do. It has to be very, very fine-tuned to the patient and the pathology. Now, in these patients, seeing that they were having a severe allergic reaction in their lungs, the tissue of the lung was swollen. Uh, 
And so any uh, ventilation using positive high pressure would damage the lung because the lung has lost its elasticity because it's swollen. Yet all the ventilations carried out around the world were with high pressure ventilators. So the ventilators killed more people than any uh, benefit that it could have ever brought to the illness. We saw the same with remdesivir. Uh, remdesivir was punted as the first line of treatment for COVID. Remdesivir is a drug that was trialed in Ebola with three other drugs uh, evaluated. Uh, remdesivir was the first drug to be abandoned in that trial because it caused uh, uh, organ failure. And because of its toxicity, it was stopped. Yet, we have no other studies on remdesivir, and it was touted as the, the solution to this pandemic. Now, if you remember correctly, early on in the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of people die of organ failure. Uh, that subsequently changed. That organ failure, I'm of the opinion that all the patients that had organ failure in the first wave, that organ failure was because of remdesivir and not because of COVID illness. It was because of being given a toxic drug. So we, we, I'm well aware of the, the irrational malpractice that's taken place. I think doctors closed their eyes and their ears and just followed. A lot of them were forced into it. A lot of them were scared of losing their jobs. I think it's the first time in history that a pharmacist was allowed to prescribe. Remember, people like uh, Professor Karim are not practicing prescribing clinicians. And they have absolutely no right to tell me what to give my patient. And that happened around the world. People with no prescribing rights were giving out advice on what and mandating advice on how to treat a pandemic they had no clue about. And so I think it was willful. I think there was an agenda to raise the amount of death that we had to, to fear manga, scare people. I had a gentleman come in two weeks ago on a, th on a Thursday from Durban. He had COVID uh, 11 months ago, spent two months in hospital, got off the ventilator. The medical aid refused to pay. He was sent home, oxygen dependent. It took him another six months odd to actually get off the oxygen, but still couldn't do any form of exertion. Uh, he would get breathless very easily. Uh, subsequently, two months ago, suddenly uh, was back on the oxygen, uh, was suspicious he had another COVID infection. Uh, he struggled to get to see me, uh, Shafat, but uh, he came in on the Thursday, breathless as hell. I explained to him where we had gone wrong. He hadn't been treated appropriately. You can't leave an allergic reaction untreated. It would go on indefinitely. And my suspicion was that's what was happening to him. Uh, I treated him, took his bloods and treated him on Thursday. I phoned him on the Saturday to find out how he was doing. And he was 100% better. I'm not sure the injuries that long delay in treatment have, would have caused him. But for a person to recover in two days for something he suffered with for 11 months is unacceptable. And even more unacceptable, uh, his family were so terrified at his condition uh, and the possibility of him dying that they forced each other to take the vaccine. So his entire family got vaccinated. He's the only one in his family that didn't take the vaccine. He would have died with it if he did. He's, he's so reactive to spike protein. So I think that uh, what's happened around the world is me medical malpractice. I, I said this in one of the other shows I had with you. We must never forget that in Nazi Germany, it was the doctors that were hanged, not the politicians. So any doctor that went ahead and instituted treatment on a patient without doing due diligence is in trouble. Uh, so are the so are all the companies in South Africa that have to take the fall for mandating the vaccine because the government said it didn't mandate it, but it encouraged companies to mandate it and force it upon their staff. I guess they're going to have to pay the price for that now. So yeah, there's been a lot of collusion, and I think at the end of the day, uh, those of us left behind who have lost loved ones uh, unnecessarily, wholly unnecessarily, need to come together and make sure that the people that are responsible are brought to book. They are held accountable. They do not get off scot-free.
And that's the reason I said, if the council wishes to suspend me, then so be it. I will deregister. They will have, by deregistering, they will not have any legal hold on me. And I will be able to continue to speak out and make sure that the people in charge of this pandemic are brought to book. It's been two years of watching people unnecessarily die. And that's unacceptable in my book. And uh, it's it's something I will I will never ever accept. So yeah, we got we got some ways to go with the legal fraternity. Uh, they've been influenced by Big Pharma. Big Pharma has made all the traditional and uh, other forms of medicine quackery for for no good reason. Uh, they have uh, they have uh, taken over. Uh, medical education, put their grants to medical universities. So all doctors are taught uh, is is to do tests, come to a diagnosis and dispense treatment to patients. And that's the reason patients around the globe have become numbers to doctors. They're no more seen as patients. Uh, the pharma the pharma industry as well has uh, has colluded with the research. They actually sponsor research and they pre uh, predict the outcomes. The outcomes must always be favorable for their medication. So we cannot trust any research done by pharma. Uh, after all, if I want to sell a product, how can I be trusted to do the research myself and then tell you that it's safe and effective? We need an independent outside authority to do those kind of things, and we don't have that. So I think we need a complete paradigm shift in the way the world is run. Regulatory authorities are not elected by us. Government has deferred the, the authority we've given them to these regulatory bodies. And being unelected, we have no recourse when they choose to do things. Uh, so we need to relook at how we are governed. Uh, the government in South Africa, like many around the world, defers its judgments uh, to the World Health Organization and other regulatory authorities who have no concern for the citizens of our country. So we're electing puppets and someone else is pulling the strings. And I think that needs to change. The only way that's gonna change is if people rise. There are a few of them and we are many. And uh, I think that this change is going to start in South Africa, because when I looked at the work, when I look at the work I've done around the globe, uh, a majority of countries are terrified at what's happened and they don't have a voice to speak out. They've become pretty complacent about their governments and have trusted them because they've enjoyed years of democracy with competent governments. Uh, fortunately for us in South Africa, we have an incompetent government and we've been very wary of their wheelings and dealings. And so we know how to protest. We keep an eye on what's going on. And so when I look at South Africa, the social, legal and uh, scientific uh, structures are very well formed, are very well informed and are willing to stand and fight, unlike the majority of countries around the world. You know, Doctor, you really uh, have uh, given us uh, such a in-depth, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually wobbling here, in-depth information that, you know, I'm thinking about individuals uh, that, you know, what you're telling me, they have sold the soul to the devil. I mean, uh, just for a few bucks, uh, maybe they have sold uh, eternity. They sold uh, the relationship with God, you know, that... Uh, yeah, I've got paradise for you. You're going to go to paradise if you know you do the right thing. But deliberately, yeah, I mean, you act uh, like, you know, you, you're you pushing for the devil's agenda at the expense of uh, innocent lives. And you're making uh, people's lives, uh, you know, unbearable. I was just uh, reading an article by a gentleman. His name is uh, Ranjit Lala Madhavan, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, Malyaman. I think he's uh, from Tamil Nadu. Uh, Nadu. And, uh, you know, he said the global drug trade is worth $321 billion a year. Alcohol sales in the world are $1,600 billion per year. And the glo uh, global arms uh, trade is worth about $100 billion a year. I mean, he missed out on the pharma, pharmaceuticals and so forth. But I want to focus on alcohol. I mean, you look at the alcohol business uh, and it's worth $1,600 billion per year. Uh, this is uh, perhaps another, it's, it, it, you know, it kills family, it, uh, it destroys society, it makes human beings act worse than animals, you know, even lower than beasts when, when, when they are over-intoxicated. They do things that, you know, 
even animals won't do. I want you to focus on that scenario and that they will go for smoking and they'll say, oh, smoking is, um, you know, uh, oh, the, the biggest killer and so forth, which is a lie because alcohol is worse than uh, smoking. But the smoking, uh, they have made that a pretext. Is it a policy of deflection, uh, Dr. Shankara? Uh, yeah, I think, the, okay, yeah, yeah, Doc, you're unmuted now. Uh, you're muted. You, uh, one more uh, hit and you'll be unmuted. It seems that they're not getting the message that uh, I'm unavailable. <laughs> Yeah, oh, someone's trying to uh, get hold of our doctor there and now uh, whilst he's talking to us, but uh, hopefully, yeah, you got it right now, Doc. Okay, it uh, seems as if, uh, yeah, we've been, uh, uh, I hope, yeah, someone's... Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Doc, you go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Could you please just repeat your last statement? Okay, the, the, the point I was uh, making, I read an article... Uh, by this gentleman uh, known as Ranjit Alal Madhavan. And he says the global uh, drug trade is worth uh, $321 billion a year. Alcohol sales in the world are $1,600 billion per year. The global arms uh, trade is worth over $100 billion a year. But, you know, the alcohol business we, uh, you know, we talk about, and, uh, you know, it's the biggest killer. I mean, it's, uh, it destroys society. It destroys the fabrics of, of society. Uh, youngsters uh, lose control. Uh, many waste their lives away. And uh, suddenly, I mean, we know smoking is bad, but it can't be bad as alcohol. They're banning smoking everywhere. They're making that the biggest issue. Shouldn't they be making alcohol one of the biggest issues uh, in, in, on, on earth? Because uh, it seems as if, uh, uh, the, you know, the governments are making uh, billions out of it. They're happy with it. But, uh, uh, you know, smoking has been used as a, uh, you know, as a pretext or as a policy of deflection. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Dr. Shankara? Hi, Shabad. I think our connection. Yeah, I can, I can hear you now, Doc. Uh, you, yeah. you couldn't hear me. Yeah, I couldn't hear. Now, no, I, I, let me just. Can you speak? Yeah, I, I, can you hear me loud and clear now? I can hear you, but uh, not on speaker. Yeah. All right. Uh, now you're uh, muted. All right. Uh, now you can hear. Yeah, I can. I can hear you. But uh, did you hear my question, Doctor? Uh, let's make it short. Yeah, you were week. talking about alcohol and. Uh, and uh, 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 all right. Cigarette is. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. they're focusing uh, wherever you go. You'll notice there's a big headline: smoking kills and smoking does. But alcohol is the biggest killer. Why is that? Uh, you know, we, we know it's making a lot of money for the government, but are people that uh, gullible to believe? You know, look at these people. Uh, and uh, people by their very nature are addicted to alcohol. And, uh, you know, you can see people are sheeple. Uh, go ahead, Doc. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Shafat. I think money dictates everything. Uh, <clears throat> if I, uh, With the work that I'm doing with the Doctors' Federation for the World, we are looking at all the things that influence health. Everything. And uh, anything that influences health negatively, we want to look into it and figure out its place and the repercussions. We also want to look at uh, <clears throat> the things that are good for our health and uh, whether we can bring that information to the fore. There are a lot of things that are good for us that are being hidden. Uh, big Pharma and the powers that be would not like us to know about it simply because it will take away their business. And, of course, there's a lot that uh, poisons and toxins that are being put out there uh, that we are unaware of uh, that will cause us harm. Uh, I said this before, an army needs a, a, a good enemy for it to get funding. Uh, the same is with the pig farmer. It needs people unwell uh, for it to have a, a clientele. So the aim of pig farmer is never to cure. It is always just to treat and make sure you keep coming back. So this applies both to smoking, the smoking industry, the tobacco industry, and of course the alcohol industry. Uh, they are bigger killers than COVID. I mean, if you look at uh, a simple thing like TB, TB kills a few thousand people in South Africa every year. It is a bigger pandemic than COVID ever was, yet the World Health Organization has not declared it a pandemic. 
So yeah, I think there are bigger players at play. They they are manipulating humanity with false uh, pretense. And of course, humanity needs to be awakened uh, to realize that we've been played. Uh, we treated like sheep. They think they are superior to all of us. We are just commodities in their eyes. And so everything needs to be relooked at in a very level-headed, uh, open perspective. Uh, if you look at alcohol, besides direct implications of alcohol and the injuries and deaths that it causes, the amount of uh... yeah, it seems uh, that uh, uh, Doc, uh, yeah, the gremlin is uh, setting in again. But uh, what I'll do, I'll uh, I'll quickly summarize uh, our evening, and uh, perhaps if Doc gets back, I'll uh, you know I'll get him to. Uh, uh, give his part, uh, parting words. But if you looked at it, uh, Dr. Shankara Chetty has told us that the whole thing has been an engineered uh, virus. And after his interview with uh, Philip uh, Macmillan, uh, it, uh, his interview went viral and people took note of Dr. Shankara Chetty. Then he lectured to doctors in uh, Malaysia and they had a seven hour uh, training session there. And uh, then, you know, yeah, researchers, scientists, doctors, they're not forthcoming. Most of them, you know, they don't want to uh, oppose this because they're all part of uh, perhaps we call it the gravy train and interviews on many platforms throughout the world. Dr. Shankara has appeared and uh, has made an indelible impression. And, uh, you know, others call it uh, cons conspiracy theories. Others tell that, oh, yeah, Dr. Shankara and his a few other friends are uh, giving misinformation. And uh, these things are all you know how when it's big, uh, when the, the big farmers are making money and uh, they will do anything in the power to uh, bring down people of truth and 40% increase in uh, mortality. Uh, you know, when, when you look at this uh, uh, vaccine, when it was administered huge in uh, reality, it is, as Dr. Shankara says, it is definitely a bioweapon. And he says we already in World War Three, and it was uh, not, uh, it was not a lab leak, uh, doctor says, but a deliberate uh, intention of uh, putting mankind into a mode of illness and uh, uh, paranoia and uh, pushing forward the one world disorder. We don't call it an order. That's a, there's a doctors giving misinformation, but they are pushing in a one world not order, people. It's a one world disorder. And the CEO of uh, Pfizer refused to talk to the European Parliament, whereas uh, Dr. Shankara Chetty did address them and addressed the European Parliament. There were judges and there were other uh, people that were present there. The whole world listened to Dr. Shankara Chetty. And the new vaccine has uh, been used on eight mice. Yeah, can you believe it? And uh, they'll be Thomas, using uh, it. Can you hear me again? Yeah, you're, you're there, Doc. I'm just giving you uh, some of uh, the points you made. And uh, okay. perhaps uh, uh, two more points, and I want you to close up. And uh, then okay. yeah, you, saw, you said the review with uh, doctors, uh, yeah, and you yeah, spoke yeah. about uh, you uh, know, uh, Malaysia. Is one, uh, I yes, think there's one, important, uh, there's one important... Go for it. Uh, doc, you can go for it. Okay, it seems like uh, we've uh, lost our doctor again. But uh, yeah, the point I was making, uh, review with uh, doctors and... Uh, you know, a doctor he spoke in Malaysia and in Bahamas and all those uh, different doctors, uh, they have thanked Dr. Shankara uh, for his uh, sterling work and uh, for making a difference in their country. And he's well recently been uh, reported from, by a professor from Wits University who laid a complaint against Dr. Shankara Chetty. And he also, Dr. Shankara says that TB is a bigger killer uh, then the uh, COVID that they had, it kills uh, eight to 9,000 people. I, I'm not too sure, a month or so. And then we talk about alcohol. What about alcohol? You know, so much of uh, talking and uh, suddenly, you know, you have a load shedding, you have this, you have the gremlins coming through. And uh, whilst uh, Dr. and I were coming, uh, we were talking to each other and uh, the gremlins are sorted out. But our engineer, Lucolo, thank you very much. He sorted this out. And uh, yes, uh, doctor, you know, we were talking about many issues. But there are certain points uh, that uh, you wanted to add on, and uh, you told me it's quite uh, you know, imperative that you do it. Go for it, yeah. doctor, before the gremlins catch us again. Yeah, yeah. You see, Shapat, we've got to look at the vaccine. And when we look at the vaccine, we've got to understand what we're trying to achieve with the vaccine. 
We know that we've questioned its safety, its efficacy, transmission, uh, infection, its ability to prevent those, prevent severe illness, prevent death. But the one thing that was never questioned was the design of the vaccine itself and what, what, was, what was the intention. Now, when we talk of an mRNA vaccine, messenger RNA is a code that tells your cells to make a specific thing. Now, the messenger RNA vaccine gets into your cells. It gets them to make spike protein. And when your body sees this spike protein, it realizes it's foreign. And so it starts to make antibodies to spike protein. Those antibodies are what we're trying to achieve. And if you get a virus with the same spike protein, those antibodies will actually kill the virus. So the end result of the vaccination or the end product of the vaccination is meant to be antibodies to spike protein. Now, seeing that we're trying to make these antibodies, if you look at messenger RNA, it's a very fragile, volatile substance. It's got to be kept in a minus 90 degree Pfizer fridge. It's difficult to transport and administer. When you inject it into someone, you're not sure, being new technology, what side effects it might have. We're not sure how long it will last, how far it will distribute in the body. We're not sure whether it will change your DNA, which is a lifelong problem. Uh, we're not sure how much of spike protein it will make, for how long. We're not sure how long that spike protein will last. So there are all these variables with using the messenger RNA to make spike protein. But the end result is antibodies to spike protein. That is what we are trying to achieve, for a person to develop antibodies to spike protein. So my question to the scientific community was, why don't we inject people with spike protein rather than messenger RNA? Now, spike protein can be easily made in a lab. It is not as labile as uh, messenger RNA. Uh, it does not grow in your body or get your body to make anything. Your body will recognize it as a foreign substance and make antibodies to it. So if you inject someone with spike protein, you'll get antibodies to spike protein. And you know exactly what dose to use. You know how long it will last. You know when you need to give a booster when you see the antibodies waning. So it would have been a far easier way to get the same end result, which completely makes messenger RNA wholly unnecessary in a vaccination. Now, basically, they call it a new technology messenger RNA vaccine. It is basically a protein vaccine. It is the messenger RNA makes spike protein. And the spike protein is what makes you develop antibodies. So I can't understand why we didn't inject people directly with spike protein. We have made spike protein vaccines uh, before. or We have made protein-based vaccines before, correction. So it would have been an easier way to get the end result and with less complication. So messenger RNA was wholly unnecessary in the development of antibodies to spike protein. So what we basically did was turn your body into a spike protein factory when we could have made the spike protein in a factory outside your body and administered it to you. So as much as messenger RNA was unnecessary for the manufacture of spike protein and the antibodies, subsequent antibodies, I'm sure it has a purpose, but the purpose definitely was not to give antibodies to spike protein. There's an easier way to do that. So messenger RNA is probably incorporated into the vaccine to fulfill the transhuman agenda that this global cabal has. Spike protein was there for a depopulation agenda and the messenger RNA for a transhuman agenda. If anyone can justify the use of messenger RNA technology, which is new and novel, in wanting to make spike protein and antibodies to spike protein and can prove to me that it would be better than a ordinary protein-based vaccine, which can be easily modified as the variants changed, uh, I'll eat my hat. So I'd like people to ponder that, that the technology behind the vaccine makes no logical sense. The design of the vaccine is nonsensical. There were far easier ways to design a vaccine. When you're dealing with a crisis and you need to act quickly, you don't reach for a tool you've never used before and you don't know how it works. You reach for something you know. And a protein-based vaccine would have sufficed. So I hope the viewers take a good hard look at that and start to ask some questions. Absolutely. A lot of, uh, you know, thoughtful information given through. And, you know, we always, uh, you know, we take you uh, not with a pinch of salt, but we take you holy, uh, Dr. Shankara Chetty. And uh, you keep up the great work. And, uh, you know, uh, you 
a man of truth will be uh, helped uh, by divine decree. Doctor, you have a blessed evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, send to your doctor, Shankar Rachetti. Perhaps your parting words. Uh, thank you, Shafat. We've got a long road ahead. I hope people would come together in faith uh, and uh, we can we can change the future. It's for us to come together. And I think people put all their differences aside. There's too much of division in the world as it is. So we need to come together in a sharing, caring, cooperative framework and we'll fix this problem. Thank you very much, uh, Doctor. And I also thank my engineer, Lukalo, for great engineering. Uh, keep it locked on to uh, Marcus Haba for beautiful programming. And uh, yes, uh, many uh, other programs coming through from the team and I till we meet you again. We bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.